This is Smarter Cars, and I'm your host, Michelle Kairouz. Welcome to season six of the podcast. Today we're talking with Peter Deppi, the CEO and co-founder of Commute, a company that provides universal charging docks for micromobility devices. You can see what the charging docks look like at commute.com. That's K-U-H-M-U-T-E.com. Peter, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for having me today. Can you start by telling us what Commute does? Sure. Our mission is to become the universal charging network for micromobility. And the way we accomplish that is being agnostic to a variety of different platforms or, or solutions out there. So we're a charging network that works with pretty much anything smaller than a car. And when you say charging network, you're providing actual physical docks where people can plug in their vehicle and charge it? Yes. And so there's really two, I guess, pieces of our ecosystem. So the charging hub, that, as we call it, as well as the vehicle adapter. Great. We're going to get into all of that in a few minutes. But first, I'd love to hear the story of how you came to start Commute. Were you right out of college? Where did you go to school? And and how did you get into all of this? You know, thanks for asking. Commute started off as a thesis project of both myself and my co-founder. So we attended Kettering University, also here in Flint, Michigan, where we're still based out of today. And in 2018, when we were developing this, that was at peak electric scooter ride share time where you could see scooters everywhere. And then you could also see all of the newspaper articles on saying how much this scooter or urban clutter was a safety concern and just overall just didn't have the aesthetic appeal that most communities wanted. So we figured since our background is all in engineering and whether it's electrical, mechanical or computer engineering, we could design something at least as a school project at that time to solve some of these issues. We did so and early prototypes were made out of PVC pipes and whatever else we could find at Home Depot. And although now it's it's a much more refined solution, don't worry. But yeah, that's, that's how it started. And, and then we were able to raise some money and we actually launched our own fleet of modest amount of 40 electric scooters and a few of our charging hubs here in Flint. One, to bring scooters here to Flint because we didn't really think anyone else would and we really wanted scooters here. And then two, it gives us a test fleet to where we control both sides of the coin where we're the operator or um, the charging network. And in the beginning, we actually wanted to be both, but then we realized there's a lot of operators out there in the world that need a charging and parking solution. And we felt that cities would require it eventually anyway, once they were able to sort of catch up to what was going on. And I guess that's kind of how our initial history went and we made the pivot. And now we were really laser focused on providing locking and charging solutions to anything smaller than a car. So what do the charging docks look like? Essentially what we've done is it looks almost like a bike rack. That's what some people can compare it to. And I, I do see some similarities there, but it's basically some very simple, minimalistic five by five inch square tubing with T's to connect them. So that way we can extend it if we need more parking or less parking and then elbows to sort of cap off the ends and, and go into from the, the body into the legs. And that allows us to have a very modular system as we're hoping to be essentially the Legos of micromobility to where if you need more parking, you can add more parking. We have configurations of hubs that fit three, six, and nine, as well as five and 10 vehicles. And the versions that are what we call doubles, which is like a double three or a double five, we've designed them so that they fit a standard car parking spot 
So that way we can fit into like on-street parking or even off-street parking um, scenarios like parking garages to where it fits into existing infrastructure that's already there as opposed to having designed a whole new custom setup, which would provide more friction to the cities. We figured we were going to take the approach in designing something that fits into a city landscape that blends in so well that if you don't use it, you barely even notice it's there. So ours is a, a completely aluminum body frame using very mute colors like grays and blacks, just to really blend into traditional infrastructure as opposed to this bright plastic thing that draws a lot of attention. So it's a single bar and you drive the scooter up and the bar comes about halfway up the handle of the scooter. And are the number of vehicles that can fit in a, a particular charging station limited by the number of connections then that come out of the bar? Yes. So let's look at it from the perspective of you own a scooter, bike, a vehicle that we can support on our network. You will have our vehicle adapter on that vehicle and you can take that scooter up to our charging hub and it clicks in. And once you hear that click, it's actually locked into place to the charging hub and it automatically begins charging. And one of the things that really sets us apart and we don't really advertise it too much because we don't want to you know, sound off about it, but each port actually has what we call variable charging. And this is what really enables us to work with so many different vehicle types, whether it's your traditional scooters or bikes or a little less traditional wheelchairs, delivery robots, cargo bikes, et cetera, is each port on every one of our hubs and a port is essentially a parking spot. It can support a vehicle that charges anywhere from you know as low as 22 volts to upwards of 72 volts. And that gives us the, the band that we need that you know supports most, if not all, micromobility vehicles when charging. And that's really important. That's actually something that no one else has ever done in this space, at least to, to my knowledge, to where now you, you're form factor agnostic, you have a very minimal beam that's out of the way. So you can, again, support as many form factors as possible. And that's what really we're all about. So it seems to me when you talk about being a universal charging solution, that there are two pieces to that. One of them is this question of voltage and how does the charging hub know what your vehicle needs when you plug it in? And the other is a question of adapter, like physically, how does it plug into the power source? Yeah. So I would say for your stereotypical e-scooter, e-bike, for example, there's a few different voltages that I would consider standards. Some of those are like 36, 42, and maybe 54-ish volts. So you can categorize probably most, honestly, of the industry within those few different numbers. But if you're looking at this at a more broad sort of view, like if you want to look at wheelchairs, for example, which is something we support, you know, that, that comes in at a lower voltage of about 22 to 24 volts. And, you know, those are as important, we feel, as the scooters we park and charge and the e-bikes we park and charge. So that's why the reason we support from 22 all the way up to 72 is it gives us the flexibility to work with those different form factors, but it also gives those that purchase our infrastructure sort of a future-proof feeling, knowing that if a new form factor of micromobility appears, which most likely it will, they'll still have the flexibility to support it from the hub that they purchased last year. How so does the hub know yes. what the right voltage is? Yeah, so I can't go too far into detail, but essentially the adapter that's on the vehicle, once it's parked in the hub, it communicates to the hub and says, hey, I am this type of vehicle and I need 
this type of charging. And that's essentially what it does. And we're also working on some interesting things where we can also supercharge vehicles too. So in the case of shared fleet vehicles, the buzzword right now is swappable batteries. But what if you didn't need to spend that 2x you don't have to buy two times the number of batteries, which we know are the most expensive part of the vehicle and the most environmentally non-friendly part of the vehicle. But instead you had accessible parking that's on street in the field where now to charge it, it's no longer, you know, six hours from dead to full, but maybe it's a matter of one to two hours and that's all it really needs to go from complete dead to full. So there's some things that we're trying to do to where, again, it's going back to that piece of in the beginning, when we focused on how do we lower CapEx and OpEx costs for operators, this is an interesting thing, again, where we're providing different features to support these different opportunities. But this is all done, again, through the vehicle adapter. So let's talk about the vehicle adapter then. Your hubs are designed to work with either a personally owned scooter that somebody bought on Amazon or a fleet scooter like a Lime or a Bird or an electric bike. And so how do I get the adapter that allows me to plug my vehicle into one of your charging stations? Do you sell it? How does all of that work? Sure. So up into this point, we've mainly been working with shared fleets of you know scooters and e-bikes. So most of the time we deal directly with the operator. We sell a number of adapters to their fleet for whatever size fleet it is. And obviously you get sort of the bulk discount pricing that goes along with it. Within the adapter, there's obviously the standard interface for locking and charging to the hub, but there's also an integrated cable lock. So that way you have a smart cable lock feature, which we know from these different lock two requirements from like Washington DC and other cities, at least here in the US, that are super important when you're not a charging hub, for example. So that's some interesting things surrounding that. And I guess furthermore into that, we've done integrations with, for example, like a Joyride or a Lattice, different third-party white-labeled solutions out there for fleet management system rider apps. So that way the charging hubs from our charging network are accessible within those different rider apps for those operators so that they can obviously see where the, the charging hub is they can know how many parking spots are available if their rider clicks on it, et cetera. So it's pretty simple and, and open in that sense. And it works with pretty much any fleet management system out there. For personally owned vehicles, it's a little bit different. So we're actually launching our own platform called the Commute Charge app, which is just like a rider app for personally owned vehicles, but it allows the personally owned vehicle to set up their profile. You can purchase an adapter, it's sent to you. You simply retrofit it just goes on your scooter, bike, whatever have you. And then you can park and charge at a per minute or hourly fee at any commute charging hub. So that's essentially how the personally owned options work. And one thing I guess we're doing right now, sort of as an experiment, is we did launch a small Kickstarter campaign, just mainly focused around the personally owned because there's some questions that we have around it that really launching a Kickstarter campaign, there's really no drawback to doing so, which is which is why we've done that. I guess one other point, the Commute Charge app is also mainly a platform for those that purchase our charging hubs because it allows you to share different access levels with technicians and maintenance people, as well as set the rates that you charge personally on vehicles for parking and charging at your hub. And then whoever owns the charging hub would make 90% of that, which is something that we feel is also important, having an ROI aspect to the infrastructure itself. So the Kickstarter is sort of an experiment to see if you opened up the commute charging app and sold a scooter alongside with it, that someone would be able to access your charging and would they also be able to 
keep track of where their scooter is and some of those things. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Within the adapter, there's an IOT so they can track their you know, electric skateboard or scooter or bike, they can have a cable lock integrated to it. So if they're not at a charging hub, they can still lock up. So it's essentially when you buy an adapter, it's like buying a smart lock with GPS. But now you have access to a broader charging network. So that way, when you go across campus to class or across the city to work, you have a dedicated charging network, just like, you know, Tesla has it for their cars or ChargePoint has it for EV cars. Now it's sort of miniaturized for your e-bike whether it's a shared fleet bike or not. Yeah, so I know for some people, it seems more economical perhaps to think about buying their own electric vehicle, whether it's a bike or a scooter, and this allows them to charge it without having to bring it up to their office or apartment building. Exactly. So let's talk about power. How are your hubs powered? Where does the electricity come from? Who pays for it? And how does that work? And tell us about partnering with cities versus private installations. Yeah. So for, I guess, we'll back up and talk about what does it take to install a charging hub? Because I think there's always, we always get questions about whether or not this is even feasible in a variety of different environments. So Right off the bat, our smallest charging hub, when it's pulling the most amount of power it can possibly pull, it's 1.8 kilowatts, which is 1800 watts, which you can consider, you know, about maybe a very high-end computer, for example. So pretty minimal. And that's one of the benefits to micromobility infrastructure, just in general, is it pulls a lot less power than like a car charger, for example, which can pull, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's a ridiculous amount of power that you really need a lot of dedicated and specific circuits around to be able to support that type of infrastructure. Whereas our charging hubs and our most popular options simply can just plug into an existing standard wall outlet, which is something that we've, again, in the design phase of this, we really limited it to the different sizes we have because we want it to be able to be powered in that easy of a way where you can simply buy this charging hub, set it on any concrete surface, and then through our, what we call a freestanding installation is it's simply set there and then plugged into an outlet. Hopefully you have a lockable outlet box and one unplugs it, but that's as simple as it gets when installing infrastructure. We do have another installation method called the standard installation where it is bolted to the ground and it is routed and connected to the grid below for a more permanent solution. Again, this is mainly for the public areas that have this charging network because there's no exposed cables, it's all bolted. No one's gonna touch it, no one's gonna move it. The worst thing that we've seen happen to it is graffiti, which at the end of the day, stickers and paint aren't that bad. But that's sort of the installation methods that we found to be really all you need. You need a simple, flexible one for most private properties that need that flexibility to where you simply just set it there as a hotel, for example, you plug it in. That's essentially all you need. A hotel is never going to want to put in a whole dedicated circuit for scooters, maybe for a car, but for scooters, they just want it super simple, hands off, plug it in, it's done. And that could be outdoors, like a hotel might have an outdoor area that has an external outlet and they could plug it in there and set it down and it would run. And can it also be plugged in indoors? Like if there were a big office building that had a huge lobby that wanted to have off in the corner somewhere, could it also be used indoors? Is there any problem with that? So, yep. 
Either, either option works. And the way we look at it, you need three things to install a charging hub. You need hard concrete flat surface. You need access to power, whether that be the outlet or connection to the grid, as well as some connection to the internet. As these the charging hubs have an IoT inside and they need to communicate to know when to lock, unlock, charge, not charge. So in the case of indoors, we do have ethernet options. So you can just plug it in directly and you're good to go there. And then in outdoor options, obviously you just rely on the cell network and Again, super easy. It's just like the scooter that also has an IoT inside. So let's say the city of San Francisco called up and said, look, we want to put a double dock in a car parking spot, one per block in our downtown area. How would that connect from a parking spot? Does it involve drilling down and connecting to the grid someplace under the ground or how does that work? So it would depend on the location. If they have an accessible outlet nearby, it would be as simple as just plugging it in and setting it there. Maybe you bolt it in if the city would like, or you would do this, the, what we call again, the standard installation where you would drill and route the cable underground. And the reason again, why we now sell direct to cities and private properties is they know the grid best where they're located. For example, if a city is putting this into their parking lot, they know that parking lot and they've, they've done existing projects where they know the contractors that know the grid underground and they know exactly where they need these things. So again, why we pivoted from selling to operators and then also us providing infrastructure as a service in some ways, now we just sell direct to the locations is because now the installation process is streamlined so much more as opposed to us coming in and doing so. So what does it cost if I'm San Francisco and I want to buy these things? And as you say, they're going to do the installation on their own. What does it cost? Yeah. So charging hubs for us, like the, our smallest one, for example, which is what we call a single three is just under $5,000 US and then $30 a month for data for the, the cell data fee. And then it goes upward if you're looking at like the triple three or double five that holds nine to 10 vehicles respectively, it gets up into maybe the $11,000 range. But we feel that we like to compare ourselves to the car chargers, for example. And I know there are some differences, but we won't go too deep into detail on that. But we feel in a way that, you know, you're providing a charging solution that parks and charges multiple vehicles at such a low price point. It brings into the equation, the, the equity side where now, since we are at such a low price point, you now shift to where more people have access to this charging network for micromobility, and then hopefully that drives the demand or, or usage rather um, of micromobility because now you have more accessible charging and hopefully range anxiety is limited now on the, the rider side because of this charging network that's hopefully within the city in a way that you know covers all of the hot spots, if you will. And then how does the app work? So if the city buys the infrastructure and plugs it in on the street and anyone can use it, who's uh, in charge of the app and what are they doing with it? Yeah. So I guess more specifically our, our platform, the Commute Charge app. So let's say the city of Flint, for example, bought a charging hub. The city of Flint can use that platform to share access with maintenance people. So in case for whatever reason you need to remove a vehicle in that hub, a maintenance person can walk up to that hub's hit unlock and then remove it if they need to for whatever reason, as well as they can set the different rates for personally owned vehicles. So whatever they want to set at their hourly or per minute rate, they can do so. And then they would make 90%. For folks to use the charger, they would download the app also and pay through the app. 
Yes. So for personally owned vehicles, yes, mm -hmm. you would use the Commute Charge app. One thing that we are not is a fleet management system for shared vehicles. So let's say you find brand X scooter in one of our charging hubs. You'll use their app. So since you'll use a user or rider of theirs anyway, you'll use their app. You'll walk up to their scooter or e-bike. You'll scan the QR code just like everyone already does. And it unlocks the vehicle just like it normally would, but also the hub sort of disengages from the vehicle as well. And you can take it and go on your ride. And then when you return it, it automatically ends the rental and begins charging because we, we communicate that this vehicle is back at a charging hub. And we send that to their fleet management system saying, this is now parked and charging, please end their rental. And that's how our infrastructure shows up in a shared fleet setting. It's within rider apps in fleet management systems. If the city bought this rack and 50% of the docks were taken up by, let's say, Lime scooters that day, how is it working between shared operators and the owner of the dock? Yeah. So right now we're actually working with multiple cities to understand what the best path is to work in that sense with shared fleets. The way that we've done it up until this point is normally as an operator of a shared fleet, you're paying permit fees to operate in that city anyway. So what we've worked with cities on is that permit fee covers charging and hopefully a reinvestment back into more infrastructure for that operator to more successfully service that community. Uh, and that's the way that we've seen to have the most success is usually the permit fees will just cover the cost of electricity since the cost of electricity even over the course of a year for multiple fleet vehicles is still fairly low just because, I mean, you're paying, at least I know here in Michigan is about 12 cents per kilowatt hour. And it's very, very cheap to charge a scooter, which takes basically nothing at all to do. So it usually is just wrapped up in the permit fees to operate there anyway. Have you thought about branding, sponsorship, digital signage, or other things that could go on the dock that would enable cities to defray some of the cost of purchasing the docks? So we have had discussions about, you know, digital signage or just regular kind of advertising space. And there's a lot of cities out there that are against and have different rules and regulations surrounding public advertisement and things like that. So we feel that it's best to just provide a minimal solution. I mean, we do have some ways that you could put some small logos on there uh, and maybe provide some, you know, co-branding or some minor sponsorship opportunities to cover some costs of the infrastructure. But as, as we like to say here, our infrastructure is not a NASCAR and it's best that it just is very clean. It does its job. We're trying to stick with very minimal branding in that sense. And then you also mentioned partnering with private companies like hotels or office buildings or apartment complexes. I assume they're not charging their hotel customers, but are they just allowing any shared fleet bike or scooter or personally owned to come up and charge or are they doing something different? Yeah. So one area that we're actually really excited about that's really blown up for us in the past I'd say month or two has been corporate campuses in either providing access for a public shared fleet, such as like a bird line lift, et cetera, on their campus or a private shared fleet for maybe they have a fleet for their own employee or for the personal owned vehicles also on their campus. And it's really interesting to see, and it's due to people having an optimistic outlook on COVID and hopefully going back to work sometime relatively soon, fingers crossed in that regard. And 
It goes back to giving the location flexibility to provide whatever type of fleet that they want on their campus or location, whether it's collaborating with the different rideshare operators out there, or just providing a fleet as an amenity to those living there or those visiting. That's really what we've seen really take hold. And we're really excited about later this year when we do several launches on some major corporate campuses where they have these options where previously they did not. Can you tell us about any cities or campuses or other locations where you're currently operating your docks? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess going back to when we pivoted So originally we sold directly to operators and we did a little bit of that, but then we found out that they really only wanted to spend money on their vehicles. And we realized that early on, so we made the switch. Um, Now we're really excited that we had our first city purchase hubs from us directly. So Ontario, California, as well as, you know, several others almost at that point where they're making purchases. And then, you know, several locations, I mentioned corporate campuses kind of in the Pacific Northwest area here in the Midwest. And then we're doing a really interesting launch actually towards the end of uh, March and then beginning of April, where we're launching about 27 of our charging hubs, servicing a few hundred or so fleet bikes, and then being able to service publicly our public publicly owned vehicles as well in Fully Beach, South Carolina with one of our awesome partners down there. So we have several launches and then we're also doing interesting things within airports and malls centered around accessibility of wheelchair usage. So it's kind of interesting where the flexibility of micro mobility can help, you know, drive the use of infrastructure in places where previously, because it needed such a huge power cap or budget, now this infrastructure can go and be useful because I mean, no one's going to put a charger for a car in the middle of a mall, but for, you know, wheelchairs and other small forms of mobility. Now that's an option because you can simply just plug it in and it's ready. You mentioned earlier the idea of how long it takes to charge a, a vehicle and trying to increase that. Where are you on that today? How long does it take to mm-hmm. charge a, a kick scooter and a bike? And what would it take to make that much faster? So right now in all of our charging hubs, current state, we charge everything to the factory specifications. So we don't provide any supercharging capabilities just yet. And that's coming in on the horizon. And what we're doing is we're working directly with the the different vehicle manufacturers to provide this. And really it's interesting because there's actually no additional hardware you need on the vehicle. So it's zero extra cost. It's all just a little bit of software tweaking and allowing us to essentially dump more power or more current into the vehicle to reduce those different charge times. So an average scooter, let's say, you know, has a charge time of maybe five to six hours. So if you're able to introduce, you know, higher current into that vehicle, you can, you know, drastically reduce that by maybe two to three times, if not even more safely, which is the key there. So that's kind of our current stage of where we're at with supercharging. And then there's also some capabilities around understanding the cycle count of that battery pack, and then doing different uh, smart charging features to hopefully increase the number of cycles you can get out of that battery pack. And that's something we definitely are looking at seriously, because again, that goes back to the whole OPEX and CAPEX piece of the fleets where you want that vehicle to last as long as you can. And that's, I think the battery pack is sort of the missing link, if you will, on that piece. You mentioned the industry trend towards swappable batteries. What are the pros and cons of the swappable batteries? And then if 
the industry does move to swappable batteries, is, are you able to adapt your infrastructure to put in, for instance, uh, a lockbox uh, of stacked racks where you could actually charge just the battery? Yeah. So I would say I have mixed feelings for swappable batteries. And I know it's, I would say swappable batteries right now is most likely the hottest topic, if you will, for shared fleet owners. If you go on LinkedIn or any social media site, just look through a few posts on an operator's page and you'll most likely see something to do with swappable batteries. And where I see they do make sense and we do support vehicles with swappable batteries is, I mean, there's no way you can charge a battery as quick as it takes to just swap it. I will never say that we'll be able to beat that unless there's some super capacitor out there that replaces batteries and you charge it in 10 in like a second. But until that day gets here, swappable batteries, I will be the first to say they remain king in that sense. Where they don't is there's no automated way to swap that battery. And either you're relying on the rider to do so, which I think is overly optimistic in a lot of areas, because I don't know if you've directly interfaced with a swappable battery on a scooter or e-bike. Most of them are very difficult because they have to be secure because they don't want people stealing these things. So that has been really, yeah, we can't rely on riders in, in most cases, or you have to rely on, you know, people that you hire to go out there. And do you really need to hire that person or spend valuable resources on sending someone out there when you could have on-street parking and charging that does it without sending someone out there? without in introducing new congestion constraints and providing it in a way that's secure and has more revenue generating opportunities because that vehicle never leaves the road. It is always there waiting for a rental as opposed to taking it back to a warehouse as it's been traditionally done or waiting for someone to get out there to swap out the battery because it might be dead. But let me get again, say there are ma major benefits, but only in places that have such high peak demand hours where they need that quick, the super quick turnaround. As And in most cases, you probably can get by with on-street charging. What is that like to swap a battery? Is it something that the average person should be able to do? So I would say, could your average person do it? Yes. Is it a great experience? I think there's some things left to be desired about the whole experience. Even with some of the opportunities where it, you know, on the vehicle, it is pretty easy to engage and disengage. But now you have to take it into a business and you're basically trying to get your rider to go out of their way to take the battery inside to a business where the whole benefit to micromobility is the convenience and now you're taking away the convenience. So there's some things that we're trying to do where we're, I mean, we will be introducing and we have some partners in the space of swappable batteries where they'll just be attaching directly on our charging hub. So at least the batteries are at least right next to you where you're parking anyways. So there, there's a little bit better of a feature set there as opposed to expecting your rider to go out of their way in a business, swap out the battery and bring it back out. It seems like on either end of your dock, you could have a kiosk that the rider unlocks and pulls out the fresh battery and a place to put the old battery. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and, you know, you, your docks could become swapping stations right there in the field. And then when they put the old battery in, then that one starts charging so that people aren't carrying the batteries around. They're simply going exactly. in and out of your dock and then they're get, getting recharged right there. So how does your infrastructure hold up in weather? You're in Flint, Michigan. Unfortunately, the, 
the infrastructure Flint, Michigan is most known for are the lead water pipes. So <laughs> I'm glad you're bringing a more positive infrastructure to the world. Yeah. How does the charging hub hold up in extreme heat or extreme cold, rain? Are there any issues with that? Yeah. So in the early days, the hub was actually made out of steel. And again, I'll be the first to tell you, we had some rust issues and we've addressed that. And we've moved on to an all aluminum body, which solves all those issues and more. So, you know, we've had hubs out for more than a year now in, in Flint and in other cities. And, you know, it, it has not been an issue. We have not seen rust. We have not seen, you know, heat be an issue. I mean, we're in the Midwest, so we, we get, I guess, the benefit of torture testing at every end of the spectrum. I mean, we got dumped on with maybe, you know, eight inches of snow yesterday, but during the summer, we can still see, you know, over a hundred degree Fahrenheit heat. So we get the best of uh, all worlds uh, in, in that sense for uh, validation of our, of our hardware. And I mean, we're lucky to say that, you know, it's, it's been able to stand up to the task of Midwest weather. So I would venture out to say that it'll most likely be fine pretty much anywhere it goes since we do see both extreme ends of the spectrum. So what's next for Commute as a company? What does the next year look like for you? Yeah, I guess backing up to 2020, everyone knows how that is. So uh, no more needs to be said, but we used it basically to double down on R&D and bring to life the version two adapter, which we've mentioned in the version two charging hub, which we've mentioned and talked about, as well as our mobile app, the Commute Charge app. So we've you know, refreshed everything, developed it since we, we raised quite a bit early 2020. So 2021 for us is now, you know, we have the refined solution and we're just focused on launching and setting up all of these launches we have planned to be as successful as possible. And we're really excited to be in, you know, the areas that I've mentioned as in like South Carolina, the Pacific Northwest, you know, Ontario, California. And then we do have other, you know, university campuses, corporate campuses, and then different convention centers in areas such as like, you know, Orlando, Florida, areas in Wisconsin and Minnesota, as well as, you know, some potential business down in Arizona as well, where, you know, we're, we're focused on launching the, you know, two to 250 hubs we have spoken for this year and getting those out the door and really providing a quality experience here in the US and in Canada. And we do have some small pilot projects going out in the UK as well. But for the most part, we're really focused on just providing these um, current projects as much time and resources as we can to make sure that they're ultimately successful. As you know, if it didn't go well, then uh, that's going to be a tough, tough run. <laughs> Great. So if cities or campuses or corporate buildings are interested in having uh, your infrastructure, how should people reach out to you? So on our website, we have a great contact us page. Otherwise, you can reach out directly to my email, peter at commute.com. So that's P-E-T-E-R at, and then commute is K-U-H-M-U-T-E.com. And always loving to talk to more people about infrastructure and micromobility. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to hear what you guys are working on. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having us. Great to talk to you. Thanks again to Peter for joining us. You can find the show notes for the episode on our Substack publication. That's at smartercars.substack.com. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.